0: Hey, what's up everybody? This is Drew and welcome to the Codeco Podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here's the show.
1: Thanks. This is the Codeco Podcast. Welcome to Episode 7 for Season 1. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, the 11th of January, 2023, for release on Thursday, the 2nd of February, 2023. This episode is sponsored by Split.io. I am your co-host, Susanna Skyragupta, with our inimitable host, Drew
0: Freeman. Thanks, Suze. In this episode, we'll be talking about the benefits, both the positives and the negatives of boot camps, and from a learning perspective. We have Ryan Brodsky on the show today, and he's a former boot camp instructor for General Assembly and Coding Dojo, and he's now teaching his own programming courses online.
1: Welcome, Ryan.
0: Hi, great to be here. Good to see you, too. Um, I I see that you we have a, a sort of a Dr. Evil petting the cat here.
2: <laughs> yes, my cat Krushenka is my co-host. What a great name. Oh. Also inimitable.
1: Yeah, that's fabulous. Yes, thank you. Oh. oh, yes, yes, yes. OK, guys, I need to tell everybody listening right now, you do want to watch the video for this one, because Krushenka has made His appearance? Her appearance? His appearance. It
2: is a female name, but he doesn't mind. He's named
0: after a Dostoevsky character because I'm just a big Russian literature fan. (laughs) His head popped up and he's a, a beautiful tuxedo cat. Which you will see in the, uh, in the YouTube version of the, of the podcast. But in the meantime, we are going to be talking boot camps today. But Ryan, before we get into that, we want you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, tell us a little of your background and things like that. Yeah, so I am first and foremost an education
2: guy. I uh, got an English degree, hence the love of Russian literature, and uh, started teaching college-level English for a long time, uh, probably too long in retrospect, Um, mostly because it was fun. I like talking about things I've read, and that seemed like a natural course of action. but then after a while it got a little tiring realizing I was having no lasting impact on my students' lives. Uh, they never had to write the essays that they had to write for my class. Uh, so I figured, Oh, I should develop another skill to teach what's, what's in demand, what's going on here. And, uh, I landed on coding. I started learning it for my friend's comic book store to help run his website and his web affairs. And, uh, it took off from there. So I'm now combining tech and education, and now trying to branch out in a third direction of entrepreneurship. And I'm getting my MBA and starting my own online classes. So,
1: oh, that's really exciting.
2: Some intersection of tech, education, and entrepreneurship is where I want to be.
0: So, obviously, now the question is when you're not doing tech, and assumably not playing with the cat what are some of the things that you do when you're off the clock
2: Ah, uh, yes well educating my cat to play fetch has been one of the rewarding <laughs> hobbies of my downtime. so i don't totally leave the teacher hat at home um
1: has that worked does he play fetch
2: oh yes he absolutely does yeah both of my cats do so if i can teach them to fetch i can teach people to code right that's Appeal to authority,
0: right? Readily
1: there. and obviously transferable. Yes.
0: yes. <laughs> My cat started with fetching and then became addicted to ice cubes. So, <laughs> so we would throw uh. an, throw an ice cube, and she'd bring it to us anywhere in the house we were. We we climb into bed, and the cat would come up with an ice cube, <laughs> much to our chagrin. <laughs> but um, as a result, now she is completely wired to the sound of the refrigerator ice box going off. Uh mine
2: loves fetching chili peppers. So we have found these dried up two-year-old chili peppers under the couch every now and again from <laughs> his past fetch sessions. But enough about Kushenka, you're interviewing me. Um so I also um I have a few kind of broy hobbies. I didn't realize I was turning into a bro until my wife pointed it out, but I like weightlifting, I like fantasy football, um I like homebrewing. Uh, so I recently just did a uh, passion fruit sour ale that was really good. Wow! Yes. Yeah, no, it's been it's become a lot easier thanks to technology to brew sours than it once was. There's a new strain of yeast out there that makes it a lot quicker and easier to manage. So thanks to that, I brewed up a passion fruit sour. So that's an, another one of my hobbies. But then also gardening and. Uh, playing acoustic guitar on there too, so it's not entirely uh, becoming a tech business bro. Uh, I've got some other stuff in there too.
0: Nice, well-rounded.
2: Yes, I like to think so.
1: Where do you live in the country?
2: Uh, Denver.
1: Okay. Like everybody so who that's... grew up around
2: Chicago, I've moved to Denver.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so the rest of us, because you're, if you're thinking like, well, this doesn't seem like the entirety of Chicagoland, so besides a couple people I know who still um, live where they grew up, the rest of us are in Phoenix because I'm in Phoenix. Uh, I also grew up in Chicago. One of my own
2: Chicago friends also moved to Phoenix. So yeah, checks
1: out. And Denver and the the home brewing checks out. So. all makes sense i
2: do not ski though i don't fit in in that regard i do not yet ski they haven't gotten to me
0: yet one of our boot camp uh teachers jen bailey's in the uh denver area as well she does uh primarily android so
2: nice yeah hot hot tech center good for tech folks to move out to once you get that remote gig it's on like the top five of like hey i can live anywhere
1: now
0: I'm on the near mountains. It's the Silicon Valley of the Of the Rockies.
1: <laughs>
0: so, Sil Valley yeah, of the Rockies, that's mountain it. Mountain region. Yeah, it's not quite Midwest, but it's not quite west. The Silicon Mountains. There you go. Not so much a valley there.
1: Former former home of three sixty IDev. So the big the big iOS and Mac conference that uh that just came to a close this year, so John Wilker's conference.
0: You said briefly that you had been teaching English and you were looking for something else to move into and you decided to pick up coding. So how did you find yourself in coding and what did you start picking up first? So I I honestly can't remember what the first
2: spark of thought of like, hey, I should learn programming was. It, It definitely wasn't in high school when we had like an elective class in like C++ or something. Like I just remember somehow not being at all interested in that. At the time, um, but interest changed and um, it definitely fit into my, I, I'm not sure why I wasn't interested. I was like captain of the chess team. I was on the mathletes team. Like they should have offered me a bucket of scholarship money to just to take a coding class. Cause like I was a prime recruit for it, but it, it didn't click then. Um, but later on in life, it did. Um, I feel like it probably was front end web development, just building websites and seeing what's what there. Um, I remember it was very distinctly learning from the now defunct code school website, and they had animated intros and jingles for all their classes, uh, and that was really fun, and I just like kind of randomly grazed from their buffet of stuff, so I learned SQL, which had like a 20s mystery noir uh deco aesthetic to it. Uh, <laughs> they, they really went above and beyond.
1: OK, that's really cool and interesting that, like, you remember, I mean, of course, you remember that you learned SQL, <laughs> but you also remember, like, the ambiance yeah. of the online curriculum. You know, so. I... I really appreciate
2: whoever stood up in those first few meetings for code school and said like, no, we really need to spend our budget on a mystery jazz-ish intro theme and art deco graphics for the sequel class. And everyone else looking at them must have thought they were nuts, but I really appreciate that they (laughs) must have stumped hard for it because it worked out and it stuck in my memory for sure. Um, But yeah, just after doing that, I kind of got on at the same point that a lot of uh, coding bootcamp students, like people coming into coding bootcamp students, are at, where you're kind of on this tutorial treadmill where you don't feel like you're getting any better at any particular thing, or you're not able to build something like from the ground up and confidently put it out into the world. Like you give me a nice uh, curated exercise, saying like fill in the SQL query that will find the top 20 in this list of countries by population that speak the same language. It's like, okay, cool. I can do that. But I don't know how to integrate it into an app, right? Like if you told me, right, if somebody came to me and said, Hey Ryan, I heard you like programming and that you're starting out on code school. That's awesome. Can you build my app? I'd have had to say, no, I, I know the tools, but I don't know how to put them together. And that's really where these, uh environments that the boot camp provides take you to that next level and really get you off of that treadmill and make you realize the sort of things you can figure out on your own um that's one of the biggest alternative lessons like that aren't about coding that coding back boot camps teach you is you just have that confidence to go out and try stuff like just try building it and make mistakes and fail your way forward like before programming i never would have tried to uh wire a lighting fixture in my own home because i would have said oh no that's electricity i don't do that sorry but now that i have this can-do attitude <laughs> of like i'm just gonna figure it out someone's got it online I'm, there's a tutorial there's documentation for this houses have been around forever right so somebody's got to have this sure enough it's like a five minute youtube video watching somebody else do it and you're like oh okay yeah i, I can do that and now I've gone a little crazy uh, getting more and more light fixtures from the Habitat Restore <laughs> near me, but uh, I think that's been a blessing on my life.
0: I'm really glad that you uh, made that comment about how you'd learn to do certain po- certain functions and certain pieces of things, but you hadn't put it all together. I've, I've often felt that the problem that you see in programming is not a question of, well, can you learn Python, or can you learn Dart? The thing is that once you've learned one computer language, most of them are all the same. It's the libraries. It's the hmm. frameworks. Um, I, I know Java. Could I write a Java program? Probably not. Um, I'm an iOS engineer and I have specialized in the iOS frameworks and I've added in the watch and the TV OS frameworks. But you know, for Python, I I I just know how to indent.
2: <laughs> well, that's important. But yeah, exactly. There's this whole ecosystem you don't know about. And sure enough, even like my first love code school, what front-end framework did I learn on it? Like the Aging towards retirement, backbone like even when I learned it back in like 2015 or so, it was getting replaced and outdated. But I didn't know that. I just like took whatever they shoveled onto their site, and I was like, "This is cool too. All right, front end framework. I manage data. I have components. This is awesome." Um, and like if I had gone to an environment of professional programmers, it would have been like, "What are you doing, Ryan? Why did you learn that one?" I'm like, "I, I don't know. It's just what they taught me."
1: So for listeners who are really new. Um, Step back and say, "What is a boot camp?"
2: I'm not sure how broadly to answer, but I will restrict my remarks to coding boot camps. So, the right, first, yeah, in
1: the, in this context,
2: because <laughs> I, I'm so I'm a big education guy, and I like to think big with these things. And I'm wondering why there aren't more boot camps of different things than just coding. It's like technology has this nice niche of accepting self-taught people a lot more. So it's kind of this nice proving ground for the model of Bootcamp-style immersive learning. Um, And, like, immersive learning has been around, like, for languages and things like that. But I am curious why it has not gone to more and different fields since then. But restricting myself to coding bootcamps, they are traditionally about three-month full-time programs where you learn as though it's your full-time job. I think that's what makes it very different from other types of learning. You just go straight for three months, um, nine to five. Strong expectation of homework afterwards, too. So it's more like a nine to nine experience in the traditional model. right? This is back when I was starting out in the industry, most boot camps were almost exclusively this type of schedule. So you learn it in three months. You have this cohort of students alongside you and you have a few instructors. That doesn't change. I think another big aspect of them is that they're very project-based. So it's not like you learn for 8 weeks and then you write your final paper at the end and you turn it in and you hope it gets a good grade. You're building things all day, every day throughout the program. And that's another very different thing is you can kind of see yourself getting better as the program goes along. You just get all of that experience of building things over and over again. So hopefully by the end of these 12 weeks, you have a foundation of knowledge and a mindset to move forward and keep learning new things and start your job search. And it's equipping you for junior entry-level roles. Um, But at the end of that 12 weeks, hopefully, you're ready to keep learning on your own and have that developer mindset I was talking about, where you feel like, now I can just look things up and acquire knowledge for myself as opposed to waiting for somebody to give me the next track on my online class. And I think those are the defining aspects of what makes coding bootcamp style learning different from most of the learning environments.
1: Now, Drew, you started in a bootcamp, right? Didn't you start in a big Nerd Ranch bootcamp?
0: Well, it wasn't so much a bootcamp as it was a one week intensive immersive. Um, I guess Mm. it could be called a bootcamp because it was full time. It was a nine to five kind of thing, but it was only one week. very long week i it feels like it was longer than that <laughs> uh but I, I it 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 sort of walks the line at that point because i i don't think the concept of the extended boot camp really had come up at that point this was just uh a one week Im- uh, uh, intensive
1: and i'm curious now you know right now as we start into 2023 is the your in person nine to five with hours of homework after, is that really the prevalent boot camp model or what what models can if somebody's looking for this kind of transition from I mean I think that's another thing we should say that this is a way of transitioning from whatever you did before to software developer. Um what's she likely to find when she goes looking today?
2: Yeah absolutely I, I think that is one of the core parts of the definition of a bootcamp is it's supposed to be no experience required. Um, most of the places are that way. They're supposed to be very welcoming of beginners. Um, some places will have more pre-work than others and some will have a kind of entrance exam with a little coding involved. Some have entrance exams that are just like logic based to make sure you know how to think in the way you will be expected to as a programmer. Um, but it is supposed to be a career transition class. I've had a few students who had computer science degrees coming in there. And obviously, they had a huge advantage in the job search afterwards. But by and large, the students are people who have no previous program experience or just have done so as a hobby. Uh, So to answer your question, though, in 2023, what has changed from the traditional bootcamp model I've described, Uh, which is interesting because boot camps are just so disruptive in the first place that it's fascinating we're at this point where we can talk about them as though they are the archaic dusty old form of learning when it's like it's been five years so it's interesting to see learning on the scale of tech acceleration that like we can't still just rely on the same let's all get in the same room for three months and learn together uh, model so first off i do agree that the in-person models are going away Um, most are full-time remote, even if they are still the same schedule of nine to five, uh, we're all going to treat this as a full-time job. Uh, you're still more likely to find online than not. Uh, there are a few that are still doing the in-person ones. And as a former in-person teacher myself, I do miss that environment, but it is hard to put a number figure on it when you're budgeting as a company for why do we need a campus if people are going to do it online anyway. Um, Absolutely. Especially with things like commuting back and forth to the campus and finding an ideal location for it. There's a lot of good economic reasons that most programs have shifted to online. And it does accommodate a lot more people that way as well who don't have that hour to commute into the city where your office is going to be. So that's probably the first difference that you'll find today is a lot less in-person a lot more online and remote learning uh the second point is this three-month schedule isn't i i can't even estimate the, the proportion there it's just a total blind guess which one is more prevalent because i'm seeing a lot more side-by-side comparisons of both um, but since i started in 2017 to now nearly every bootcamp provider has Now, the more six month or nine month extended uh, flexible scheduling cohorts that are still you learn all with the same people in one cohort. You have one or two instructors throughout your experience and you're still on the same schedule. It's just drawn out to nights and weekends to accommodate people who have full time job schedules. And that's the schedule I used when I took a coding boot camp. I was a coding dojo student initially uh, for their online part-time one. So I could keep my college teaching job while still doing this. And that really worked well for me. I really liked it. And uh, since then, most competitors have adopted that model as well. But at the time, they were still figuring it out. They didn't really know to price it the same as the uh, three-month full-time. So it was like, hey, have a 70% discount if you take the part-time version but you learn the same stuff and get the same certificate afterwards and get the same job support. So it was a no brainer for me at the time, but the industry has since figured out, oh, these are equivalent things. We should not charge differently for them. Uh, Okay, so lesson learned, now they're typically the same price because they are the same product, they're the same amount of material, just on a different schedule.
0: That makes sense. We were talking about the nine to five before and how this could work from an economical point of view for somebody. We talked about the changing career. So somebody who's out of their career looking to start something new They may have uh, subsidies coming in from their unemployment to learn a new career. But these, to be honest, a three month or nine month, they're not cheap. Uh, No, they're not. So that's another thing that has
2: evolved are the funding options
0: that are out there.
2: Uh, For a lot of programs, you no longer are expected to pay tuition up front or somehow continue making payments during the program a lot of them now are going to defer your tuition until after you graduate like as minimum. oh
1: interesting um
2: but some of them will defer your tuition until you get a job Um, I think that's a whole separate topic we can get into later, but definitely the uh, funding source expectations have changed since 2017, where there was a lot more expectation that you probably saved up for this throughout a period of time, anticipating you would take the program. Um, I think students in the first few years of boot camps had put a lot more planning into it before they decided to do it. Uh, so, like they tried to learn coding on their own they'd saved up some money they didn't really prepared themselves to have three plus months of unemployment ready to go um, but now it 's a lot less uh expected of students going into these programs and again, for very good economic reasons, that just isn't feasible for a large audience. so, as boot camps have expanded out from their core original audience of people who are able to take three-plus months off of work and save up all that money and probably don't have children they're trying to raise at the same time, like there's a lot of things that have to go right for that schedule to work. And for the first like few generations of cohorts, that's who you were getting in the door, and it worked. But since programs have been expanding out to a lot broader of an audience, they've had to adapt to a lot of these economic realities.
0: Just to give uh, the listener who hasn't looked this up sticker shock, can you give a ballpark average of what a three-month or nine-month, say, iOS class might cost somebody?
2: Oh, yeah. So these uh, full-time coding boot camps – probably 15,000 bucks, right? The price of a used car. It's a very significant purchase. And that's again, why deferred tuition or income share agreements have become a lot more prevalent Because you run out of people who can afford to drop down $15,000 really quickly as you grow and scale your businesses, right? Like, you can run a nice little niche business if your customers have to drop down $15,000. But you're not going to make as broad of an impact. You're not going to affect as many lives. So uh, boot camps have always been a very interesting blend of for-profit company attracting people who are very mission-oriented, and for me, it's all the, it's always been the mission of having an impact on people's lives, empower them to get a career and just change their entire reality by being able to make a lot more money, support themselves and their family in ways they couldn't before. And so there's a very big tension between that and having to be a business and still make money and turn a profit somewhere. So these income share agreements have been kind of bridging that gap there where they're aligning the incentives and expectations where we only make money when you start making money. So we're not gonna charge you upfront, we're not gonna charge you after you graduate until we've accomplished the mission of getting you a job, making X amount of money, and usually that barrier is high enough to satisfy the student saying, yes, that is the salary I was looking for, is something like 50 or 60,000 as a minimum.
0: We'll have more of the Cadeco podcast after these words from Split.io. This
1: podcast is brought to you by the Split Feature Management and Experimentation Platform. What if a release was exactly how it sounds? A liberation from constraint, a moment of relief, an escape from outdated processes, tedious software changes, and the slow, painful deployments that hold back product engineers. Free your teams and your features with Split. By attaching insightful data to feature flags, Split helps you quickly deploy, measure, and learn the impact of every feature you release, which means you can turn up what works, turn off what doesn't, and give software innovation the room to run wild. Now you can safely deliver features up to 50 times faster and exhale. Split feature management and experimentation. What a release. To reimagine software delivery and propel your teams forward, start your free trial at Split.io slash Codeco.
0: And we'd like to thank Split.io for sponsoring this episode of the Codeco podcast.
1: So let's, let's keep delving into this a bit more since we're on the topic. So if someone out there is starting to shop for boot camps, And I will say we're going to include this in the show notes. Ryan has written an outstanding piece on exactly what you should be looking for if you are shopping for boot camps. And it's it's really useful. So you're going to want to look at the show notes and and read that piece. But how do you how do you start understanding the pricing side of it and these income share agreements and how do you shop smartly and not land yourself in a indentured servitude situation that you later regret.
2: Yeah, you have to read the fine print. Um, a lot of places are going to actually uh, give you a quiz on the terms of your funding before you're allowed to accept it. Just to make it clear, like, I know what I am getting okay, into. That's good. I understand that. If this happens, then that happens. If this happens, then that happens. So understanding the exact conditions of your agreement is really critical. Hopefully your admissions counselor or person will be able to give you all those details up front and you should read through them very carefully because they're all going to sound very similar, but the exact terms are going to be very different. So things like, what will I owe if after the program's over, I just never get a job as a developer it doesn't work out for me that's the worst case scenario what happens then and in you know my mind if i'm running brodsky bootcamp i say nothing you never owe anything until you make a salary in the field that we taught you about but there could be a expiration period for that term. Uh, there could be a lot of conditions you have to reach to be considered still job seeking. So that's another big contingent for a lot of these funding sources is you will not owe us money as long as you are still following our prescribed program of job seeking for up to six or nine months. And so I think a lot of companies are expecting that if you're not successfully job seeking, you're going to drop out at that point, And that's going to become a more normal student loan type situation that you end up regretting. So to get the great conditions they sell you on up front of, you're not going to owe anything until you get your job. You have to play the program their way. And it requires a lot of just staying on the beam, doing your check-ins, proving that it's almost like unemployment, right? Proving that you applied to these jobs. You went to these interviews if they were offered to you. Just a lot of things that, I think students who will, uh, struggle through are going to eventually stop doing because they're demoralized and then it becomes that big debt burden that you're saying students will end up regretting. Another part that will change is what percentage of your income you have to pay afterwards and like, what's the maximum you end up paying. So a lot of times it'll be 10 or 20% of your salary until you're paid up, which, uh, could vary wildly depending on what that initial salary is. So again, a, a nice, well-intentioned place will have a cap on that and say, okay, if somehow you're making 200000 as a UX designer at Apple, then great, that 10% is going to cap out at $25,000. You know, so like... If tuition is 15,000, the max you end up paying us is like 20 or 25. So you still end up paying a little more, but it's not like this burden on your back that you end up paying out 30 or 40,000 being punished for your amazing success of getting the gig a job right out of the boot camp. So that's another uh, condition that I would really make sure you look at.
0: You really want to be careful about gross versus net as well. Um, mm. You know, there, there's there's one thing to say, mm-hmm. I got offered $125,000 and there's another thing to see 85000 come back to you. That's that that surprises right, exactly. a lot of engineers because this is usually their first trip above $60,000 mm. in a in a uh, in a paycheck in a paycheck and that tax bracket will bite and if you've agreed to pay 20% of gross all of a sudden you're realizing that that's 40 45% of net
2: yeah so there's all of those different terms that are going to be point. in the fine print that you really need to make sure and compare and contrast with, because the same sort of structured agreement can either be really student friendly or really student unfriendly, depending on very small changes in those
1: terms. So another thing you just mentioned that I actually think is a huge issue with online studying in general, it's got to be huge in boot camps, um, becoming demoralized. So when a student is shopping for a boot camp when a student is in a boot camp. How do they guard against that? How do you know if a particular boot camp opportunity is going to be less prone to uh, leaving you with your life sucked out of you? Just a sad shell of your former self and completely demoralized versus like, yeah, I still love coding. Jobs, jobs, jobs. Let's get one. It. <laughs> yeah, it's a
2: there's a lot of variation in terms of how difficult or demanding different boot camp programs will be and that's definitely one of the questions from my article that I want students to ask is like you go into these programs expecting it to be massive success all around you love it it's uh it's hard but a good kind of hard and you get out and graduate and that's it but that doesn't happen for everybody and so knowing up front what's going to happen in this program if I don't meet this project requirement in week four out of twelve right nobody really thinks up front and plans for failure uh and to a certain extent i have to admire the optimism but it's something you want to know when you're comparing different boot camps Am I going to get kicked out? Is it possible to get kicked out? Will they just send me back to the next cohort and I have to start over? Can I just rejoin a different cohort at the same level? So I think looking at how do these boot camps handle somebody not staying on track exactly for the 12 weeks because 12 weeks of full-time learning is a lot there's a lot of ground to cover and a lot of times just life events get in the way too it doesn't necessarily mean you're not good at it just stuff gets in the way how does this bootcamp handle it are they kind of ad hoc figuring out solutions for you on the fly, or do they have a defined process of how they handle students who don't pass the first exam are there exams do i have to pass them What actually are the graduation requirements? So, one place that I do want to call out because I've always admired their terms, I have no affiliation with them whatsoever, but the Turing School has always kind of been the gold standard of this as far as boot camps I've looked at, where they are a longer term program and they give you full week breaks in the middle of the program to decompress and recharge. Oh, nice. um, and at the end of each of their four modules, if you're not passing, uh, if you don't like get to the standard they're expecting you at the end of one of these six-week modules, you can just start that same module over with the next cohort. So you lose the people you were learning with, yes, but you don't have to start all over. You don't owe any more money. You just get to restart and keep going. Oh, wow. And so their graduation requirements are passing three out of the four modules so you still get to work on the same schedule you still get to pay what you expected to pay up front you're not being recharged for tuition a second time or anything so i really like how they've designed their program to accommodate people not staying on track with the expected requirements, because you do have to balance requirements at some level, right? To graduate these things, you have to have a certain amount of competency. We're putting our sticker on your certificate. So you have to not embarrass us when you get out there. So I like how they balance the need to validate skills with the human experience of living in the program and not always measuring up on the same time frame as everybody else.
1: That's okay. So we'll be linking to that in the show notes also. And that's, um, that sounds great. That sounds very kind. Like, you know, it's kind of their
2: brand, you know, I wish they were giving me an affiliate link right now to send out, but (laughs) yeah, they are just a really human friendly bootcamp that has always put people first. So I've always admired them for that.
0: Is there a good resource to look up online for boot camps that people should avoid?
2: Mm, yeah, so that's, a, that's an
0: interesting one. So there are a few review
2: aggregators out there that have kind of defined themselves almost exclusively as boot camp review sites. Um, and just getting the honest feedback from people who've been in the program is really vital but at the same time every program is going to have its share of one-star reviews of people who hated it just because that's the nature of learning something so intensely so quickly is it's not going to work for everyone no matter how well you designed it so figuring out whether those one-star grievances are like coming from a real place or if they're about the program versus an individual teacher like that's a that's one of the big differentiators Even within a certain boot camp, like your friend could have a really great experience and review it, recommend it to you. And then you get a different teacher and it's a totally different program from that teacher's perspective. So making sure that either like you're getting the same teacher your friend got or that the program is designed in such a way that one teacher will teach the same topics as another one very narrowly. But even still, the teaching style of individual teachers will be different. So sometimes there are just teachers you would want to avoid at a specific boot camp. Um, there are boot camps overall you might want to avoid because of the terms of their financing and funding agreements. Uh, the amount of support you get is that standard from cohort to cohort. And these things evolve over time, too. So maybe a review from 2017 saying, there was an amazing support in our cohort of two dedicated TAs around the clock ready to answer our questions. Maybe that was their pre-profit stage. And now in 2023, in the current environment, mm. they're going to have to make a profit now. So there's one TA assigned to three cohorts at a time. And that same glowing review saying they felt super supported might not be relevant anymore. So uh, I think... Going through a lot of reviews and reading them for current themes is one good source of data when shopping around for these things, but you have to compare it with a lot of other data, especially just direct things you are being told and promised by your admissions counselors that, yes, I can attest your cohort will have two full-time instructional teachers, two instructional associates, and one teaching assistant. (laughs) Okay, great. Make sure that you get that in writing, or at least assured in writing from your admissions counselor, if that's one of the big reasons you're choosing a specific program.
0: You know, the the term cohort keeps coming up. Can you back up and give a little definition for people who are getting a little confused on what you're meaning when you say cohort?
2: That's a great point. I I hate jargon, too. So I'm glad you are making me de-jargon part of this conversation, (laughs) because cohort, like... It's just the group of students you're learning with at the same time. So your classmates, right? There's no reason for this to need to be this jargoned up term of cohort, but it does lend this mysterious air of some different, more intense learning process. Um, So typically if you're enrolling at the same time and in the same course as the group of people you're learning in the same room with, that's your cohort. And that's all it is.
1: And I think It holds this promise too, that I don't know how often it comes to fruition, but I know having um, attended a recent um, iOS bootcamp graduation here at Codeco, um, there's this promise that maybe as you go through the job seeking and as you go through, you know, just the challenges of working day to day as a developer that this Cohort, this group of classmates will be your online buddies too. At least some of them. And uh, I mean, I hope that's I hope that's true for people. I think that would be a very positive experience coming out of boot camp. Oh yeah absolutely.
2: At its best, it is. And I see that you're taking a breath, Drew.
0: No, I was just going to say a lot of the larger companies now I find in orientation will try to make a class of the people who are having their orientation at the same time so that they can have people with the same level of experience to fall back on. It's sort of that confidant that you can say, "Okay, I'm so lost and I don't want to go to the teacher or I'm so lost, I don't want to go to the company and ask them, have you come up with an answer for this? So there is that that social aspect, which is very encouraging to make you feel like you're not alone in this journey. Yeah. Yes. And that is one of the huge value props of the boot camp model
2: itself and your cohort. I think that the value of your cohort is strongest during the program itself, I do agree with you that sometimes the marketing suggests that this will be your professional network and your net worth is your network. So great. You've got 30 coworkers ready to go. But like when you're all graduating at the same time, you can't really help each other out, right? Like You're all scrounging to get your own connection. And if your cousin has a hiring opportunity somewhere, you want that for yourself, right? It's like not a very realistic expectation that they're going to be all that helpful immediately after graduation. I do think, like several years down the line, once you're all in your own environment and you're working and you want to find your next job, then they can once again become very valuable. Or you've got somebody you learned alongside, you know them, you trust them, and you know they've been working at this place for three years. I'm gonna ask them how it is, and whether they can give me a referral. But during the program itself, it's super valuable to have all those people alongside you, uh, ready to answer questions for you and acknowledge that they're confused about the same thing too and so there's a lot to be gained from the cohort model um i know a lot of places are shifting more towards on-demand type learning where you don't even have a cohort anymore and you go at your own pace and that
0: Mm. that kind of freedom
2: and flexibility definitely has a trade-off where you lose this huge resource and It can make or break the experience, depending on whether you're willing to engage with your cohort in a productive way and become good teammates during project week or not.
1: I would suspect, I don't know this for sure, but I I too have a background in education. I would suspect that we see from data that, on-demand versus a cohort model, that you're less likely to finish an on-demand model versus a program with a cohort model. Cause there's just that even, even if it's never explicit, like, okay, let's all race each other to see who gets the top score. Like you don't need to do it that way, but just the thought that like, oh, I'm gonna log in at four and I'm gonna get to see Drew and Ryan, you know, like, that's motivational without the content, outside of the content, right? You know, versus, oh, I can log in whenever I want. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow. Because you're
0: going to the gym, buddy.
1: Exactly, exactly. I was thinking of it the same way. It's the difference between a class at the gym versus like doing FitBot on your phone. You know, I wish we had time to play the entire interview. But if you'd like to see the interview with all the material, including the cat, watch YouTube for the full video version. So that is a really great place to stop, given that the convention to this is we stop because <laughs> i also have so much more to say yes. on this topic
0: i love this oh, we topic definitely could put so much more into this topic and um and we should continue this topic as as it evolves.
1: And guys, definitely watch the video too, at least the start and then see if we can, you know, it'd be great if our, I don't know if our video editor can do this, but to like put chapter markers each time the cat appears. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs>
1: we are on Twitter. We remain on Twitter. We know uh, a fair amount of the audience does too. Um, Drew is Podcast Drew. I am Suze Gupta. Ryan Brodsky is Ryan the Brodsky, not to be confused <laughs> with other also Rands. He is Ryan The Brodsky. We are still going to be talking about boot camps next episode. We're going to talk about life after graduation. And I think these two folks who are coming in are probably Codeco boot camp graduates, Eric Jenkinson and Robert DeLaurentis. We'll have all that in two weeks. And thank you both. This has been a wonderful episode. Wow.
0: And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the Kadeco podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to leave a rating in your favorite podcast app. See you next time.